Good morning, Valley family. So good to be with you this morning. Um, just want to say that time is coming next week. We are going to be live back at Valley 9 and 11 for our Hopewell gatherings. Hope you can make it and be a part of that with us. So you'll, I'm sure you'll hear a lot more on social media, but mark your calendars. We made it to going live. So Wow, what a four months this has been. Um, who would have thought when we rang in the new year and 2020 came that we would be <laughs> enduring a pandemic, that we would be having just that stay-at-home order that we're finally all happy to be out from, um, and really just right into just a major season in our nation's history of just unrest and turmoil. I mean, like, who would have, who would have ever thought? Who would ever thought this is where we'd be come July 2020? You know, and I think more than ever, it's so important for us to hear and listen to the really the timeless words of Jesus as he laid out for us what it is to be his followers. You know, we're in week three of a series called The Blessed Life, and we're looking at Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. And really, it was the most direct teaching that Jesus gave, because most of the time he would speak in parables, he would speak in stories. <clears throat> but on the Sermon on the Mount, he's going for really chapter 5, 6, and 7. He's just laying it out for the disciples as they're up on a mountain, and he's speaking and he's teaching his disciples of what it looks like to be one of his followers. And I think it's you know, just so amazing to think that Jesus was preparing us to know how to live in this life and really just understanding what it is, those characteristics of what it's like to be uh, a person in God's kingdom, a citizen in God's kingdom. You know, and how many would agree that we really do need right now is just some guidance on how to live in this life? It's, you know, you turn on the news, it's crazy. It's like you don't know whether you're coming or going. You're like scratching your head like, is this for real? We need God's guidance. And I think it's such a timely series that we're in this summer. And I think uh, Pastor Randy did an amazing job last week talking about the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's coming to that place where we are just spiritually bankrupt, where we realize that, you know, without God, we have nothing. Without God, there's nothing good in our lives in and of ourselves. And just coming to that place of, God, I can't do this life without you, that I am desperate for you. And today's beatitude, I think, is even a little harder to wrap our head around. Um, it's a little bit more upside down than the one from last week. And that is, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think for us, we're like, wait, what? Happy? Are the unhappy? This is not making sense. This is not computing. Because, you know, let's face it, in America, we don't like to mourn. We don't like to be sad. We do a lot to escape those things. Um, and I think, you know, for us, it's just that whole idea of eat, drink, and be merry. You know, we want to escape it. We want to ignore it. We just want to sidestep it. We want to just to get over it. If we're honest, I think most of us would much rather go to a wedding than we would a funeral. And, you know, I think for many of us, it's like, what, mourning? That's kind of like throwing a wet blanket on things. None of us really want that. Yet, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, mourn, the very definition of someone who mourns is that they feel regret, that they feel sadness and deep sorrow over the loss of something or someone. It's to grieve, it's to wail. It's that deep sorrow that the soul just has this ache and that the heart is to break. And so we ask ourselves, what is so happy? What is so fun or blessed about someone who's in deep sorrow? 
And so I just want to talk today just about three kinds of good grief. Three kinds of good grief. And the first one of those is mourning our losses. Mourning our losses. You know, we all experience grief. We all experience losses in this world. It's really just part of living in a fallen world. It's just a certain thing. It's going to happen. And, you know, at first glance, we read this verse and we think about just the comfort it is that when we're saddened by a loss of a loved one or relationship, you know, that as we mourn that God comes and he comforts us in that place of hurting. And knowing that as believers, one day God is going to come and he's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things new for us. In Revelations 21.4, he has this promise. He says, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the older things have passed away. And here we're just giving this stunning picture of what life is going to be like one day. You know, when we see God face to face, when our suffering is wiped away, when as believers we're united with our loved ones, and everything of our painful past is just is wiped away. And I think, you know, especially in this season of COVID-19, there's so many that have lost. There are so many that are in need of comfort. You know, as we've lost, there's many even in our church family that have lost an aunt, a sister, a grandmother, a mom, a dad, an uncle, a grandpa. There's that ache that is being carried inside. And we recognize that God is the one that can come and help us in that grief. You know, I think King David understood that kind of grief. And in Psalm 6, 6, it says, this is David speaking, and he says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it in my tears. So you see, David definitely understood what it was like to mourn. And I think, you know, Jesus loves us, he cares for us, and he wants to comfort us in our time of mourning. You know, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus can sympathize with us because he has felt many of those same things, that he can sympathize. And prophet Isaiah said of Jesus that he was a man of sorrow, that he was acquainted with grief. So Jesus knows everything about what it means to feel that loss and to feel that grief and to mourn. And just as he knows, he promises to comfort us and care for us gingerly during that time. I love the quote by Max Cato. I put it up here for you. It says, Someday God will wipe away your tears. The same hand that stretched out heaven will come and touch your cheek. The same hand that formed the mountains will caress your face. It goes on. It says, The same hands that curled in agony as the Roman spikes cut through it, someday will, will cup your face and brush away your tears forever. And when you think of a world where there'll be no reason to cry ever, doesn't that make you want to go home? You know, I think as believers, we have so much that's waiting for us on the other side. And I think, you know, you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what's most dear to you because only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. So blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the second type of grief that I want, the good grief that I want to talk about, because I think Jesus was talking more at a deeper level of mourning over sin. Mourning over sin. And so that second kind of good grief is really mourning over the condition of others. You know, not only do we mourn our losses, but mourn really over the state of humanity, over our world, over our nation. 
and over the state of our church as we look around the world. You know, I heard one Bible commentary said, it's about mourning over the sins of others, for the sins of the world, for the profaneness and the wickedness that abounds, for this world is an evil place. You know, I think the Apostle Paul really demonstrated that for us um, as he, when he spoke to the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, 31. And it says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now here you have Paul who could see that there was going to be wolves that were going to come into the church, men and men that were going to come in and speak perverse things, leading people away. And Paul wept and he prayed that God would intervene. And Luke 19, you see Jesus as he's coming to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's at a distance. It says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he knew that they were not going to receive their Messiah, and he mourned for that. And also the prophet Jeremiah cried out, really over the apostasy of Israel, cried out that they had turned their backs on God, and he was a prophet crying and weeping that they would return to God. And the Bible says that Jesus says, that these kind of people are blessed because they mourn the sins of those in the world. And I just want to ask you this morning, does your heart break for what's going on in our nation? Does it make you just fall on your knees and just weep for what's going on right now? We are really literally destroying ourselves from the inside out. If you just look about, think about that our, we're under attack, we, you look in the news and you just see the division you see the hatred, you see the negativity, you see the prejudice, you see the racism, you see the hostility, you see the rebellion, you see the lawlessness. Does that brokenness just rip your heart and cause you to weep for where we've come as a country? Does it break your heart or do you find that you're really just too busy to get on Facebook and just stick it to people with your, with your view and how you feel about it? You know, let's be real. Our nation isn't coming out of this by what we police on social media, what we say, or what we track down someone who said. It's not about that. We have got to be people of the word, and the word tells us exactly what's at play here. Ephesians 6.12 puts it this way. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against rulers of the dark ages, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in, spirit, in heavenly places. You know, our enemy's agenda, we can see it every day on the news. And John 10.10 10 tells us what his agenda is. Steal, kill, and destroy. And we see that every day. He's just really just having a heyday every day in our country and our nation. And the church is distracted. We are distracted. And we need to mourn. We need to weep for the sake of our nation and our world. And we're told in 2 Chronicles 7.14 exactly what our role is, exactly what we're supposed to be doing as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And it says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Do we watch the news and do we express just simply our disgust for it? Or do we mourn because evil is just rampant? 
And does the depravity break our heart when we see the things that are going on? You know, for me, I like to take our dogs for a walk in the evening. And, and most of the time I have sunglasses on, whether the rain is out or not, I mean, whether the sun is out or not. Because most of the time, that's when I just go and I pray. And my, I just have tears pouring down my face. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm not even sure what to pray. I am just so, like, heartsick. I just, like, sometimes it's just Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, intervene, spread your peace on our nation, Jesus. It should be breaking our hearts of what's going on, and we need to be in prayer about it, and not just simply going after people, because Jesus said that blessed are those who mourn, who heart, whose heart breaks for the sin of their nation and their world, for they will be comforted. And so not only are we supposed to mourn our losses, not only are we supposed to mourn over our, over others, and especially our nation and world, but really most importantly, which is really the deeper meaning of this word mourn, is our third kind of good grief, our third kind. And it's mourning over our sin. It's mourning over your sin. It's mourning over my sin. You know, sin is any time we miss the mark. Sin is any time we decide, you know what, we're going to do it on our way. You know, even in the Garden of Eden, God placed Adam and Eve there, and he said, listen, eat from everything, but only from this tree. And they decided that they weren't going to do it God's way. They were going to do it their way, and they chose to eat from the tree. And so for them, rebellion came. That's considered sin, and rebellion came. And Paul writes in Romans 3.23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all chosen to do things our way instead of doing it God's way and recognizing that we are spiritually bankrupt. You know, there's a progression actually to the Beatitudes. They kind of build on each other. And as we go through the summer, you'll kind of see this as we take the different Beatitudes and just how they build on each other. The blessed are the poor in spirit starts there where we recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt. God, we can't do this without you. Jesus, take the wheel of my life. I just, I'm empty without you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And recognizing that really our sin leaves us spiritually bankrupt and needing of rescue. And we come to Jesus in just humility and surrender. We give our lives to him and recognizing he's the only one that can save us because he lived that sinless, perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again for us. And there's an illustration that our uh, Papa, Papa Cottle, our spiritual Papa of Greg and I, that he shares. And it just, it's, it so brings home just the whole idea of salvation and sanctification. And so let's say for them, this is your life. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, it's like we're covered with Christ's righteousness. So that when God looks down and sees us, he doesn't see, he just sees the righteousness of Christ. And the goal, though, of our, of our Christianity, the goal of our spiritual formation is sanctification. And that's where God takes that righteousness and he starts working that on the inside of us. He starts working that in and starts getting up under the hood and starts dealing with some of our stuff. And he's so gentle about it, but he will start pinpointing those things in our lives. And I think the thing we have to remember that it's not about us. It's not about us having the willpower. It's not even about us having our stuff together to come to Christ initially. God's going to do that work with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us once we allow him to come and start working in our lives. 
And I think it's so, you know, the scripture says in the Old Testament that not by might, not by power, but it's by God's spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us holy. And so, you know, at the same time, God still hates our sin. God still hates the stuff that's up underneath the white. You can't stay in sin. And so if we're honest, I think we all still have quite a bit of sin up under there. At least I know I do. I'll speak to myself. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to come and to make us holy and transform us on the inside. You know, when he shines that area of sin in our life, our response, what we're talking about mourning, our response has to be like, oh, my Lord, I am so sorry. As we see how our sin hurts God, as we see how our sin hurts ourselves and other people in our lives that we love, you know, whether it's that outburst of anger, maybe we have the sin of, of gossip that we just love to tell juicy things about people. You know, maybe it's having idols in our lives. Maybe it's dishonesty or lust or disobeying our parents or drunkenness or hate or unforgiveness. There's so many. As we get a glimpse of just how that sin can devastate our, not only our own lives, but those in our world, and most of the time, those that we love the most, we see that sinfulness and we mourn. We mourn what it's done. You know, the Apostle Paul experienced that same type of grief that he's trying to model for us and over his own sinful condition. And in Romans 7, 24, it says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? He's taking an inside look, and he's like, oh my gosh, there's so much in here, you know, and all of Romans 7, he's always, that what I want to do, I don't do the things I should do, I don't, he's just like, there's just a war raging on inside of him, and he's asking himself, as we need to ask ourselves, what is it inside of me that makes me behave like this? Why am I so irritable? Why do I have a bad temper? Why am I not able to control myself? Why do I just harbor these feelings of unforgiveness? What is it in me? You know, and the Apostle Paul discovered, as we need to discover, that, that we have that sin nature. The Bible calls it the flesh, those things in our lives that we have. And he gets to that place of hating it and mourning it because he doesn't want it to be anything that would separate us from God. So when we become aware, like the Apostle Paul, of that sin in us underneath this handkerchief, whether it's sinful thoughts or sinful actions and deeds, self-centeredness, whatever it looks like, we have two choices when it comes when we're faced with our sin. And the first one, and both of them can be found in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It's a wonderful verse that's very challenging, um, and it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So we have two choices when we're face-to-face -face with our sin. We have two choices. We can choose worldly sorrow, and that's when you just get upset because, dang, you were caught. You know, or you get upset because you have to face the consequences, you know, and they're painful, and you had to face the music. That's worldly sorrow. The second choice that we can choose is to choose godly sorrow, to choose godly sorrow, and that godly sorrow leads to repentance. When we realize, oh my goodness, my sin hurt God. That my sin hurt the ones that I love the most. And you, and you do a 180, and the scripture calls that repentance. Where you turn the opposite direction and go the other direction of your sin, and you make no allowances to ever do it again or to get back on that path. 
you know, personally in my life, I've mourned quite a bit of sin. I'll share just a couple of them with you. Um, you know, where God has just really shown me my own selfishness. Um, and I think for one, there's one sin that I mourned that God comforted me by really changing the trajectory of my motherhood. And when my kids were young, my girls were little, I was, I really mourned the anger that I had with them. And I would ask myself, why am I like this? Why am I like this? I'd get so frustrated. I would talk between my teeth at them and I would see their little faces and it would just make, I could see my anger and the effect that it would have on them. And I would just cringe on the inside. I'd be like, God, change me. I don't want to be this person. And I remember just reaching out to some other sisters in the church at the time. And we got together. We all were struggling with a similar thing with young kids. And we got together. We read a book about anger. We were held each other accountable. We walked through it together. And I realized, you know, for me, it was my control issues. I couldn't control them, and they were making me look bad, you know. And, and the truth of the matter is that God wanted to come and heal that on the inside of me so that I could really be the mom that they wanted, that my girls really needed me to be. You know, and I think so often it is like that in life. And I'm so thankful for those ladies that were there for me and walked through that with me, really to, be the, to have the grace to be the mom that my girls needed. You know, more recently, that was more historical, uh, but more recently, uh, I've kind of just mourned over my, my ability to be negative. I it's, call it personality, whatever. My ability to be negative. My ability just to be critical. Um, and I have to be honest, when that stay-at-home order came down in March, there was something in me that panicked because I thought, oh, my, I can't leave my house. I'm one that likes to kind of go and do. I need my space. And I thought, God, you were bringing this to head because I'm afraid of what I'm capable of. And honestly, I literally checked myself in to a kindness class, you know. We're trying to figure out what groups to lead, and I said, I'll lead one. I'll lead it on kindness. And I led a small group of ladies with me, and we did the kindness challenge. And and for me, it was prior to leading the group, because I only did that obedience. I thought, you know what, God, I need this, because I can see my sin of being negative, my sin of being critical, and how that hurts those that I love the most. And that's not what you call me to be. You call me to be a woman of faith and to see, through, see people and things through the eyes of faith, and that is not how I want to be. And I remember just crying one afternoon, and out of that, I just felt God say to lead a class. Lead a class, take someone with you, and lead a class. And so I did. Even during lockdown, we were able to show love in action, love in kindness. And so if you don't remember anything else from my message today, remember that true mourning releases true comfort. True mourning releases true comfort. You know, that if we're truly sorry for our sins and we turn that over to Christ, that we will have the strength to conquer that sin. That God will give us that strength when we come at it from a place of mourning. And so I just want to quickly give you some action steps for mourning. Some action steps for mourning. And the first one is to respond to where the Holy Spirit is shining his light. It really is very simple to respond where the Holy Spirit is shining his light. You know, the Holy Spirit, he does his work with a flashlight, not a floodlight. You know, you know it's the enemy because he'll try to show you everything that needs to be changed, and you get overwhelmed and just like, can't, I'm just so unworthy. Holy Spirit is so gentle. He's a gentleman, and he will slowly 
shine his light on the area that he wants to work with you to bring that sense of wholeness and holiness in your life. And that's the whole process of sanctification, being tuned in to the Holy Spirit to know what it is he's wanting to work at. And our job is just to stay surrendered to the process. You know, sometimes it can be an argument that comes up. So it could be an altercation at work. There's something that comes up, and you see that sin come out of you, or it's your thought, whatever, and you're like that. And the Holy Spirit kind of like, that's it. We're going after that one this time. And you just kind of be tuned into that and, and allow the God to work in you in that area. And it's our entire life that we have, our journey, is the process of sanctification. And until one day we stand before our Lord. But until then... We need to do our action steps for morning. So the first one was respond to where the Holy Spirit is shining his light. The second one is stay in God's word. Stay in God's word. Psalms 19.8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is pure, and it enlightens us. It's almost as if we go to read the word, and we're putting on a pair of glasses oh my gosh, I can see it the way God sees it. You know, it's like before it's like, before you read the word, it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. I can, I can pop off if I want to. We put the glasses on and we read God's word and all of a sudden conviction comes. That is not what God respects of us. And so we get to that place where we realize, oh my gosh, my sin is grieving God. It's offensive to him, and it's offensive in hurting those that I love. And so reading the Bible will open your eyes to really the sin that lurks in your life. And I encourage you to start, if it's even this summer, that you just read the, the messages on the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters where Jesus is just dishing it out. Again, it's not in parables. It's everything he's covering. And he covers things like judging others. He covers worry. He covers loving your enemy and he, perspective on, on finances, adultery, having an offense towards someone. I mean, he just goes out what he expects of, of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so I encourage you, put those glasses on and read God's word. Read along with us as we're just on the Beatitudes and do chapters 5, 6, and 7. Put on the glasses to see things the way God sees things. And thirdly is to practice confession. Practice confession. That's our third step. And I know some of my Catholic friends are like, hey, 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 I thought we gave that up when we came, left the Catholic Church. We don't have to confess anymore. But we do have to confess. We don't confess through someone. We confess to someone. <clears throat> and Scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything that we've done wrong. You know, it's so important for our spiritual health that we own and that we take responsibility for our thoughts, we take responsibility for our actions, we take responsibility for our words, and we really need to put in our time with God every morning or whenever you have it during the day of just confessing, own up to the stuff that you know you did. Sometimes you say, I'm good, and the Holy Spirit's like, mm, what about that? Oh yeah, God, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. Having time of confession as part of your daily life. You know, it's, his, it's our privilege, really, as his children, that we can confess to him anytime, just him and I, in total honesty, and he forgives our sins. And as we mourn our sins, we find comfort in him because nothing feels as good as clean. Nothing feels as good as clean. 
So I want to ask you this morning, have you ever shed a tear over something in your own life? Have you ever done something that you are ashamed of that you just wept over? Have you ever repented and did a 180? Because really, it should be a regular part of our Christian journey, not just when we receive Jesus as our Savior, but as a regular part of a discipline that we look into our life and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of the sin that's there. It really is a characteristic of someone in the kingdom of God, a citizen in the kingdom of God. You know, I remember the first time in my life that I had one of those moments where I mourned over my sin. I mourned over my sinful state. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I was very blessed to do that. And at age five, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And, and even then, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew, by the way, I disobeyed my parents. I knew even at five how I would blackmail my sisters and manipulate them and just the things I would do to them. I knew I was a sinner. The lies that I would tell, I knew I needed a Savior. And so at age five, he became my Lord and my Savior. But it wasn't until I was probably 18, I was a senior in high school, that I remember having one of those moments where I just mourned my sinful state. I just mourned that I was living so beneath where God had for me, and I was really living a life of dishonesty. I was living a life of dishonesty. I'd always done well in school. Always kind of one of these overachiever types, you know the type. Um, I had to work hard for it, but I always managed to get straight A's going up in school, through high school. And for me, it was all about making the grade, making that A. And, you know, I was one of those people, oh, I got a B. And it's like my, my week would be ruined, you know, and people look like, come on. But it's just, you know, those kind of driven people back then. Um, and I remember even at that time, my junior and senior year, I was in the National Honor Society, and I was in Beta Club. This is down in Florida. I'm not sure if they have Beta Club up here. But it was, it was Academic Achievement Clubs, what you stood for. Um, and I remember, for me, I wasn't a math and science girl was my problem. And so as I got to junior, as being a junior and senior, I really started to struggle in math and science. I remember getting tutored through chemistry and tutored through algebra three and just trying to get, just get through it. And then when it came to my senior year, I struggled because I think there's a saying that says whatever God left, whatever, whatever you, whatever God didn't put in, you can't get out. Something along those lines. But anyway, I just didn't have it. I'm getting tutored in physics, and it just was not clicking in there. I was getting tutored in trig, and it just, it, it just was, it was like Greek to me, and I was struggling. And at the same time, I was desperate. I had this sense of desperation because my identity was that I was an A student, that I was an honor student. And so I just had this sense of panic. Like, I, in my own skill set, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I have to say, I ended up getting, jumping in with a group that were cheating their way through math and science. And in, in physics, it was very difficult for me because I can't even begin to tell you the sense of torment, the sense of guilt, just that sense of, how did you get here? I, I was, I was a, a club officer for a Christian club on campus, and here I was, part of this cheating ring in physics. It just didn't make any sense. But inside, there was just this desperation that I had to get that A however I could get it. And the justification was there, whatever. It just, and I'll never forget in school, there was a sign that would be up on the hall, and, the, and I hated it. Someone, some teacher must have mounted it up there. And it said, cheaters never prosper. 
And I would, I would be at home at night being haunted by those words, cheaters never prosper. And I remember just losing sleep over it. And I just remember toward the end of the first semester, my physics teacher actually mounted truck mirrors in the back of the classroom because he knew things were going on and they couldn't catch us. And so I remember just that, that worldly sorrow of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get so cold busted. I'm freaking out. All worldly sorrow, mind you. Uh, the semester break came and I just said, I can't, I can't do this. I am like, I'm like a breakdown. So I ended up dropping physics halfway through the school year and I ended up going down from trig into business math where I actually learned to write checks and do all kinds of practical things. But but for me, it was just that moment of like, oh my gosh, how did I sink to this? And it wasn't though until I had that dawning of just mourning. It was the day before graduation. The day before graduation, I just wept. I wept as my red gown and my, my red cap were there and my stole, my gold stole for the National Honor Society and my beta cup cord and my and my gold tassel and I'm about to put those on in the morning and I'm like what I am I am such a fraud what I I can't even begin to be that I, I I made it to this place I'm just maybe feeling the guilt and the shame and I remember just weeping before God and saying please forgive me I don't even know how I got here just forgive me and I will promise you I will never cheat another day in my life just give me the strength how many know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we come to that place of being of just broken before God and confessing and being forgiven of that sin. And just there's just a washing that comes when we mourn, a cleansing that brings extreme comfort because that weight is lifted and forgiveness has come. So I did a 180. And I left for college in the fall and determined in my mind, come hell or high water, I will not cheat. I won't even look on a, I won't even copy someone's study guide to, to study for a test. I won't do any of that. I'm just going to say so far away from that. And God began to heal something in me. And part of my identity began to change. And it wasn't Susie, the straight A student. In my mind, it was shifted from here to my heart that I am Susie, God's daughter. And the realization hit me that I can make straight F's and it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't change how God loved me. Whether they're straight A's or straight F's, it wouldn't change how he cared about me. And once that got into my heart, I was able to take the step and just be who it is that God called me to be. Because how many know sometimes God has to make us whole with a W, whole, before he can make us holy. And I needed that healed in the inside of me. And I will never forget, fast forward four years, now I'm at the end of my, my uh, college years, and again, it's college graduation, and the night before, I am crying again. <laughs> I am crying again at my college graduation the night before as I worked on my speech because I had the highest grade point average of our student body. And I don't say that to be puffed up, I just say that it is a story of redemption that God can take the brokenness and we try to do it in our own effort and when we sin and blow it big time, that God can come in there and he can redeem that thing that made us feel like an absolute failure. As I gave that speech that day, I knew it isn't but for the grace of God that I'm standing up here. 
And I share that story because, believe me, there's a part of my perfectionist nature that's saying, what are you doing? But I'm sharing that story because you need to know that God is a God of redemption, that he will take it when we blow it and when we blow it big, and he'll come if we will mourn. He will come and bring a comfort like none other when we mourn over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I want to ask you today, what do you need to mourn over? What do you need to mourn over today? What sin has been stealing from you? You know, God has been nudging to you probably as if I'm speaking, and you see that little flashlight of the Holy Spirit saying, mm, right there, right there. I'm confident because that's how the Holy Spirit works. But there's something that's hurting you, it's hurting those that you love, and it's ruining your testimony for Jesus. And I just have the good news today to tell you that if you will truly mourn that, that God will forgive you and he will bring a comfort to you like you have never felt in your life. That God, if we truly mourn our sin and turn it over to him, he will give us the strength to conquer it. Because true mourning releases true comfort. Will you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Father, today is the day I know that you want to just bring freedom, Father, in our lives to set us free from the sins that so easily entangle us. And Father, I pray right now, Father, for those who are feeling the conviction of your Holy Spirit as he is shining his flashlight on an area of our lives, an area of sin, God, that he wants to expose and heal and deliver us from. Father, may we see how our sin has hurt you, has broken your heart, has hurt those in our lives. And Father, may we just grasp that and we repent and we just say, forgive us. Forgive us and cleanse us and let us feel the comfort that only you can give and that you redeem us as you clean us up. And Father, I pray for those here this morning as well who are mourning, God. They're mourning the loss of loved ones. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would come and give your comfort. God, that they would feel your very presence right there with them in a tangible way. Feel the ache in their heart, God, as only you can feel. And we thank you, God, for your joy and your peace and, Father, your comfort that only you can give. And I also just want to pray for those who are listening. Maybe come to that place where you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt without God, that you're making a mess of things on your own, and Jesus is calling you out today. And I just want to lead you in a prayer if that's you. Father, I thank you that we don't have to come to ourselves and clean ourselves up. That we can just come to you as we are. And so, Father, I pray for those who would say today, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt without him. And I receive the sacrifice that Jesus made as he died in my place and he died on the cross for my sins, and I receive that free gift of salvation. Thank you, God, for forgiving my sins. My heart is full of hope as I receive your comfort and begin a relationship with you today. And so, Father, we just thank you, God, for loving us, and that your word promises that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And we just thank you for that now. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I love you, Valley family. I hope to see some of you out next week. I know some of you are going to prefer online. Some might prefer going to our microsites. But for those who are dying to come out, we'll be here, and we look forward to seeing you. Have a wonderful day. Love you.